Hello and welcome to our latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. We can collectively heave a huge sigh of relief. Spring is here! Gardens up and down the UK are revealing glimpses of the season to come and this gentle crescendo of colour will only get better as the weeks and months pass by. Snowdrops, aconites, cyclamen and hellebores will gradually give way to irises, crocuses, daffodils and fritillaries. These displays, whilst diminutive in stature, are brazen in colour. And let's not forget the more sizeable camellias, azaleas and rhododendrons, along with forsythias, shenomalies, wisteria, cherries, lilacs and a plethora of other less mainstream plants. As spring unfurls, we're in for a guaranteed sensory bombardment. With discussions about all these plants and many more on the cards, join us now as we transport you into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. Hello, Mr. Walker. It's absolutely lovely to see you. Most importantly, it's lovely to see you sitting upright. We're going to talk about that in a minute because I, I we've, we've we, for those of you who are regular podcast listeners, Paul Saul has been laid up uh, with excruciating back pain. I'm a bit sleepy at the moment. Uh, I've not been sleeping well lately for various reasons, but I've got a very muddy dog in front of me and the <laughs> waft of perfume from the Colne River is going to keep me stimulated and awake for this next half hour. So I think I'll be all right. We all need a stimu- stimulant of some description. If yours yeah. is wet dog, then... Wet dog, uh, not my smelling salts for the evening. Okay, well, that's good. Well, anyway, yes, yeah. I'm back. And that is Hooray. a pun that I intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how are you feeling? No, it has been... It, it has been... Um, yeah, it's been an interesting week. Uh, I really excru- excruciating back pain to start the week with. When I talked to you, and I c- just couldn't muster up the uh the uh what's the word the the vigor to do the podcast well anything i know yeah, you were laid out. i was uh laid out for two Poor weeks guy. and then dr codeine came to my uh <laughs> came to my rescue and i tell you what that has sorted it right out but Excellent. um do you know it just makes me it, it it makes me think about and you know i i know a lot of professional gardeners listen to this podcast but our bodies are finite engines and we really do have to treat them well and gardening's a tricky one because we do tend to work quite manually we tend to work ourselves quite you know to the bone especially if we need to get something done if there's a deadline for something but we do have to take a little bit more care of ourselves because if we want a long-term career we need our backs we need our we need arms, our fronts we need we, we need every, everything we need the work the whole lot the yeah. whole package so i'd say look after yourself if you're a professional or if you're in your own garden you know Take it to your extent that you can. Don't over push it. Don't try and do what you are incapable of. Because we want to enjoy what we do. We want to enjoy gardening. And I tell you what, if you're laid out like I was last week, there's no way I was enjoying anything. But I'm so glad to be back at Stone. I've got to say the tonic was getting back to Stonelands. Brilliant. Seeing the flowers in bloom before the uh, we're about to talk about the weather, but mm-hmm. but see everything in bloom before that happened and. Uh, Yes, it, it did me a world of good. So, yes, I'm pleased to be back. Well, I'm pleased to see you, very pleased to see you. And just to echo that, I think, um, as you say, you have to set your own limits, physical limits in gardening. And it's not just setting them for yourself. It's actually actually setting them and educating your employers yeah. and your customers. If you're a jobbing gardener and you've got lots of different customers, often they don't have an appreciation of the physical aspects of gardening. Uh, and then if you're on an estate and you're doing big, cumbersome, heavy jobs as a team... You know, and you can't physically do something, just pipe up and say, because 
unless I say this to my husband because he's just like a shy horse and he'll go and hurt himself sometimes for the name of a job. But you you do have to let people know that sometimes you just can't do what they're hoping you can do. You, it's okay to say no. Yeah, definitely. You know? So so look after definitely definitely look after yourself and stagger work as well. That's the other thing that I've learnt a bit more in my in my older years. I'm you know I'm middle aged. I'm not there quite yet, but. Uh, I've learned that you don't have to get that hedge, that 50-foot hedge, all done in one session. You know, if your arms are starting to hurt, if you are using machinery you don't want to for too long, just stagger it. Wait till the next day. You know, you'll get it done eventually. Don't try and knack yourself out trying to get one thing done. Gardening, there's lots of little jobs. Do one job, move on to another, go back to that job. You know, there's plenty to be done. Choosing your jobs. That's the great thing about being on an estate is that there are so many jobs to do and they've all got different aspects to them, whether it's fiddly tying in against a wall or whether, as you say, it's hulking great big kind of like tree pruning or hedging work or whatever it might be. You can alternate and, and as I say, put the strain on your body over a much gradual period of time and that's much more uh, acceptable to the joints and the back. And uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, we're going to talk about the the weather as well because oh my god so what's been going on it's been all over the shop well i tell you what if it's west country we were had about two to three weeks of the most glorious weather i gotta say spring hmm. started with a bang we were way well ahead with lots of things we were getting up to 19 degree days this is mid-march yeah. isn't it, it yeah about mid-march 11 to 12 degree hmm. nights you know perfect start of the season my magnolias had all started to come out everything was looking glorious and then yeah Last week, just, just at the point where my back had got better, bang, in came that northerly wind and the temperatures just fell out of the floor. Um, i got to say, we did reasonably well down here. We were around naught one degree, but some mm. of the stories I've heard from up north of minus 15 in some places, that is just crazy. Yeah, I know. We were, we were the same as you. Right. We were, we were teetering on... Just going into a frost. Uh, we had a really hard frost on Thursday to into Friday at our neck of the woods. But most nights, yeah, it was sort of like one, zero, maybe in nudging into minus one. But that was about it. But yeah, as you say, in the Midlands and up in the north, oh gosh, yeah, that's uh, that's difficult to manage. I was going to say, I, I mean, as well as being in the garden and finding that difficult to manage, looking closely at my greenhouse thermometer... I think their greenhouse plants were really all over the shop. Yeah, they didn't know where to be, did they? No. No, I had highs of 35 yep, yep. in the day. V vents open, vents fully open in my greenhouse yep. is amazing. Yep. I know, in the middle, in, in, in March, April. And then at night time, on those cold nights that we had, when that, when that cold pressure was, sorry, when that low pressure was pushing forth from the north, it was down to, in the greenhouse, sort of, you know, one, zero, because I don't, I don't heat my greenhouse. So... Managing a, anyone who's got a, a small or a large greenhouse, those temperature extremes are uh, interesting. And as you say, it's ventilating in the day, then it's shutting down at night, cloaking over plants or putting cloches over the top of them um, that, that really need it. And my tomatoes, I've sown a few tomatoes that are early, had to make sure that the lid of those was, was covered up. And even my tender plants that live under the greenhouse staging all winter, um, so like your brookmansias and the the gingers, I haven't really started watering them very much at all. They're still in in in, in an enforced dormancy because I don't really want them to be moist 
at this time when it's still, you know, yeah. in my mind, way too cold for them. So I'm I'm deliberately keeping them on the dry side. Well, it's funny you mention that because there's been a third factor in the weather in that we haven't had a decent rain shower in the West Country, no. which is really unusual no. for this March, April period. We haven't had a decent rain shower for about three weeks here. We've had a few drops here and there, but nothing to actually saturate the ground. And actually, I noticed our, some of our herbaceous beds are starting to crack, which they right. do when they Gosh. do get quite um quite dry you know, so i'm, I, I'm that's wor- unusual it is unusual for this time of year i've got to say and it it does make me worry about uh the progress of the year i do remember a couple of years back we had a really dry spring and even though we did have a bit more rain in summer to resaturate that ground again was quite tricky you know we needed at least three or four days so i'm mm. a, i am a little bit tentative over uh where we're going weather-wise in the next few weeks. Containers, I've got to say, I've had to keep watering. As everyone knows, I can mostly grow in containers in my own garden. I've had to keep watering those. Uh, mm. And, yeah, so it's it's strange. But we've had, strange this is what, which is what I think is unusual, because in Essex, actually, in the last few days, we've had quite a lot of rain. Have you? So, wow. Which, you know, this is what I yeah. think is so, for us, it's flipped yeah. our usual weather conversations, because normally you're saying it's so wet down in the West Country, mm. and I'm complaining about it being, you know, as um, friends say, dry as Jerusalem yeah. in Essex. It's not been for us. We've had actually some, because I'd noticed the same in that very hot spell in March, things were drying out. And I was thinking, gosh, we actually could do with the rain we've had um probably about over the last few days maybe 15 20 mil wow so that's for that's, us is a good amount a lot for you yeah Essex. we've had overnight rain we've had overnight rain well fingers crossed some of it might spread our way i think we've got another cold spell coming on friday we're recording yeah, this on I tuesday know. i know on friday so that'll be an interesting one to see where that goes but i do need at least two or three days of of good continual moisture falling from the sky down in the mm. west country and i'm sure everyone's everyone's the same i've been covering up my pears just to quickly add um because we're talking haven't talked about blossom yet on the fruit plants oh true because that was my main concern with these cold temperatures because my pears were just coming into bloom uh my blueberries were as well and my gooseberries and my red currants i think they might be diminutive enough in their flower size and hardy enough to be able to get through this little cold snap but i know the pears would if they've been exposed to uh, you know frost they would have blackened off and died. So I've been I've actually bubbled wrapped all my cordon pears in my own garden. Some of the pears at the hall, though, are so large I couldn't. So I'm going to be very interested to see mm. what is the response for the ones that have been covered up. Should, they should be fine. But the ones that have been uncovered, will they be OK? Will I get some fruit this year? So I, I will keep you updated. Yeah, pears can be reasonably cold tolerant, but it is a frost. It's the frost that does the yeah. actual damage and i'm quite interested to see how pollination is going to be this year as well according to when certain things are pollinated but one of the problems with fruit is you never really know till sort of end of june into july when the fruit starts swelling and then you start seeing how much fruit there is because i remember it was it last year or the year before i thought we'd have a really bad fruit year because of the spring and actually it turned out mm. to be reasonably decent but that's because it was mostly apples and apples do blossom slightly later than later. say the cherries yeah. or the or the pears so we actually did quite well with the apples but it'll be it will be really interesting my cydonia um which is uh the quince thank you i knew it was something right? uh, my worry. cydonia is just like <laughs> see i know the latin and you know the uh the the english name so that's great but um my cydonia has just started flowering now so i'm hoping we don't get too much of a 
a frost on uh, yeah. the weekend because I really would like to get some more quince fruits growing. We went for a, um, a lovely drive actually to um, Castle Headingham. Well, Headingham, sorry, I should say actually, well, it was Castle Headingham. We had lunch there, but also Headingham Castle. And that was on Sunday with the family. And oh, yeah. Up until that time, all the magnolias in Essex were looking great, but it must have been Saturday yeah. night. We had a proper we had a proper frost because every single magnolia that I drove past on the way from Fingenhoe through to that direction to Headingham was was brown. It was heartbreaking. They were literally just completely seared off. So uh, the cold nights hadn't been the problem, but it was the frost. The frost on that particular yeah. night, I think, it, if anything is going to damage the pears at the hall, it would be that frost that we had on Saturday night. Well, I've got everything crossed for all bits and pieces but i am hoping that we're now going to start going temperatures are going to steadily increase night temperatures are the most important thing for my tenders as soon as the night temperatures are regularly yep. 10 degrees c that i can get everything out of the polytunnel that's that magic number isn't it i love that time it is, it? 10 10 c is is that yeah magic time when you know that we're not going to go below that and then everything responds to that so i know everyone looks at daytime temperatures think yes we're above 20 slather on the suntan lotion shirt sleeves on but actually for gardeners the nighttime temperatures can be quite critical for when you start taking out tender things or you start planting stuff into the veg garden it's all about the night I, honestly that's what i look at the most um because as you said the daytime temperatures aren't going to be prohibitive really it's it is those you know when it when it's in sort of like four five six you think no hang on yeah. not yet for those borderline things. And then, as you say, it's like someone fired the starter pistol for all the tender stuff when it gets to 10 at night. Yeah, boom, it's and it's amazing how quickly things will start responding. Now, uh, I haven't been mm. here for a week, so we do have a few thank no. yous to say. Because we, do. we have we, some we more are. supporters on our Buy Me A Coffee or Buy Me A Plant, because you can buy us plants. So I'd like to run through just to say a quick thank you to a few to of me. them. Some incredible people. Yeah. Incredible people. Honestly, we're blown away. So yeah, thank really you so incredible. much. So uh, again, as every week, I apologise if I mispronounce your name because I'm from the West Country and we're very unpronounceable down here, if that's the word. So um, the first name is Sweck. That's the one I was really worried about. So hopefully that is someone we know. <laughs> yes. Got it out of the way. Um, well and then there's Camilla, <laughs> Gary, John. German Anita, who we've mentioned on the podcast before. Oh. Dankeschön. Dankeschön, yeah, Anita. Oh. Thank, yes, <laughs> um, Manuel, Steve and Caroline, Rachel and Marcel. So massive thank you to all of them mm. for uh, supporting us. Yeah. And you will all it's be brilliant. entered into future uh, prize raffles that we are hopefully going to be getting at some point. We've still got to think about those. Well, you just, just suggested, I'm not going to say what it was, but you, you, you suggested Ooh, yes. a prize idea uh, for the next draw. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. So yeah. Yeah, let's so hope we can pull that crossed, one off. Yeah. Listen out for that one. Um, but talking of the prizes, the last one was the Noaki Secateurs and Cleaning Set. That has now arrived at Martin, who was the winner. And we know Martin has sent us a great email with some pictures through. He's absolutely bowled over <laughs> by his Noaki set. Uh, he's well done, he's Martin. been he's had it on his wish list for a bit. He did use Felco's before Lucy, so you know he's still in your camp slightly. But mm, now I've got him well on done. the Japanese tool set, so that's going to be <laughs> brilliant. But he did have a question. He had a question specifically for you because it, I know I can't answer it because it's oh. about a Gretty. Yes, yes, I saw this and I didn't get around. I'm so sorry, Martin. I didn't get around to replying, but I can do it right now for you. Can you, Mike, saw the question 
was about the germination, wasn't it? Yeah. So it appears that Agretti is being more widely grown than I was giving it credit for. Now, I don't know if that's your influence. I, I would like to, you know, say I've had a certain input into the popularity of Agretti. I don't know how much, but if you're well, going to grow it... I'm not going to stay say no. It's fantastic stuff. But funnily enough, he's having the same problem that I know you've just had in that some of the seed mm. that he's getting from supplier isn't germinating very well. And I believe that's due to freshness, isn't it? It is. Yes. So um, it's it's well known that the viability of a Gretti seed is very short. And I tested this theory myself in my greenhouse this spring because I thought I've got some seed here that's two years old. I'm going to sow it and see what happens. And it was seed that I collected from plants myself it didn't germinate one jot so the seed it said in the, you know in the in the press and in the trade that it needs to be sown fresh i can confirm that that is absolutely true because i've tried it and uh, yeah i had 100% fail for germination so I've, i sowed one batch i then spoke to my wonderful friend at uh, high tool matt oliver and said matt have you got any agretti seed because i um have failed in my germination here and I need to get some fresh he'd also had a failure but he put me in touch with the lovely lovely ladies Gemma and Kelly at uh, Audley End Audley End yes and yes. Uh, funnily enough we were there the other day mm, we and were. Kelly gave me a jar of a Gretti seed now this was Gretti where they had saved their own seed but that was just last summer so it wasn't two years old it was just last year's seed I've sown that I have got fantastic germination rate so thank you so much to Gemma and Kelly so Martin that's what you need to do you need to find yourself someone who has saved some seed from literally from the last sort of summer autumn when it sets and sow that this spring or if you've had a yeah, if you've had, had a, a germination failure get back in touch with the seed company because I bet you wouldn't be the only one if if it's germinating poorly or not at all the seed company is probably aware that the viability is short and they might be able to give you something fresh. You need to find an Agretti dealer. I believe they hang out <laughs> in the shadier points of the allotment. Just just look for someone who's going, do you want some Agretti, mate? Agretti? With a big long trench coat on. That's it, something like that. With all the jars in their pockets, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, meadows. We have some meadow updates, oh, yes. some meadow action as it were um i know do you, do you want to go first or shall i shall well I? I can do i'm very excited about my revelation well um go for it so uh i think if you are a regular listener you will have fully got the vibes from me that i have got a slight dominance issue in my annual meadow oh dear. in that the uh the corn marigold which is a lovely yellow flower is a thug it's been it's dominates over the corn cockle, the cornflower and the field poppies. And I was scratching my head thinking, how how do I stop specifically the corn marigold from being so dominant and from, from doing so well to allow the other plants to to thrive and be more more in balance so we get the lovely blend of colors yeah, of reds absolutely. and blues and yellows and whites. That's the Rather holy grail the... of meadows, isn't it? Trying yeah. to balance the plants so that one doesn't become a thug. It's it's the same mm. with oxide daisies. Uh, can be the same with some of the hogweeds, some of the thistles. You know, there mm. is there is a balance to be struck. Yeah, and I should say this is the annual. So this is the annual part mm. of my meadow. We now manage it so we've got perennial beds around the perimeter of the meadow. The meadow is about an acre in size. So the annual part in the middle we've worked out is about a thousand square meters. So it's a decent size and. What we did about three weeks ago was we rotivated the middle section, which is what we do every year, and that 
churns up the seeds, brings up the, the annual seeds in that seed bank to the surface, and then they germinate. So in that lovely warm spell that we did have, we have this rash of seeds germinate. Now, that has actually created this wonderful stale seedbed of corn marigold seedlings. There's thousands of them there, literally hundreds of thousands of corn marigold. So what we've decided to do is, and this is a bit, <laughs> I know, Saul's face is like, what have you? <laughs> we have, we've hoed them all off. All right. We literally raked the whole lot and they've gone. So what that's done, we've had this initial flush of marigold seed. So anything that's close to the surface that's, that's a marigold will have germinated and it was, it was you know, it was like literally out of the starting block, it's going to dominate the whole meadow. Yeah. So by knocking it on the head with a very shallow cultivation, just raking and hoeing, we should still get a second flush of marigold germinating. But in the meantime, we've also sown 500 grams of field poppy over the top. So that also, that will then be competing with the marigold on an equal setting because there's not this whacking, whacking great big flush of seedlings. Yeah. And I'm hoping that the corn cockle, which I can see is already establishing quite nicely, and the corn flowers will hold their own. They tend to hold their own, but it was the field poppy that was really being smothered out. So by adding extra seed of the field poppy and also whacking the numbers of corn marigold seedlings on the head, fingers and legs crossed, it's going to look good this year. I will keep you posted. That's interesting. That sounds a bit like a modified uh, stale seedbed technique. Yeah, where you exactly where you that. take off that first flush. Now you can do that either mm-hmm. hoeing. You can you can burn it off if you've got a weed burner. There's various methods, and mm. you basically you just take out that initial flush. Generally, it's for weed seed, but that sounds very much like what you're trying to do: get rid of that dominance, mm. and then you can let. Well, if you're doing it in a veg garden, let the veg grow. If you're obviously doing it in a meadow, let what comes after grow. That's really, actually, that is quite a fascinating way of doing it. Well, do you know what? It all came by chance because we'd actually yeah. motivated the annual meadow and we were going to just let it do its thing. And then I walked, I did my, I do my walk around on the estate every week or so. And I looked and I thought, mm. gosh, there's so many marigolds. Mm. And we'd ordered some poppy seed and it hadn't come. It had been a bit delayed. So... It made sense to do. I was like, right, this is a bit brave and a bit risky, but we're going to try it. And I'm, I'm, because it's a, you've got to make sure you cultivate very shallowly to to get those weed seeds, seedlings hoed off. Because if you, if you rotivate it again, you'd be bringing up a whole mass of more marigold seeds. So we literally, as I say, raked and hoed it. So it's just scratched about the inch or so surface. For the hoeing, did you do that hand? Was that hand or do you have a harrow? Yeah. No, that was the boys on, on uh, yeah, doing it by hand. Whole acre. It was a sunny day. Yeah, it's like I say, it's a thousand square meters, so it's 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 a big enough site, right? But it's not huge. It was it, it was it was the way to do it. We couldn't motivate it again. We couldn't really do anything too too um, invasive. Well, we'll definitely come back to see how that has uh, mm. manifest itself in the future. Now, my meadow is pre- more yes. perennial, um, so it's stuff that's been building up over the years. We're now into the sixth year uh, and uh, we have a load of cowslips appearing now. So last year we had about one or two. Uh, I've been mowing the the paths through the meadow because that's how you make it look really uh, uh, nice and you can access the meadow that way. Mm. And I think I've counted about 50 to 60 cowslips this year. So they are starting to multiply. And this is what this is. This is the plan with my meadow. Uh, it is a long-term investment in waiting to see what comes in and what starts to spread. So we've had cowslips coming through. The camassias are really starting to 
take hold. Uh, rattle is everywhere. Every year I'm amazed that the rattle reappears. Every year I think it's just going to decide this is not going to happen this year. So, you know, the meadow is starting to have um, what I would call certain seasons. Um, whereas beforehand we were just sticking to one season. Now we have a nice early spring. Kamasis will come up for late spring. Then we'll start getting through the, the carrot and the oxide daisies and various other uh, interesting plants and the orchids the bee orchids will hopefully come and that'll be an early summer and then we'll get late summer with the greater knapweed and some of the grasses some of the nicer mm. ornamental grasses uh, showing up as well so i'm super pleased with the, I, the nice thing about meadows and i'm sure you agree with me is it really does feel like the season is starting to kick in uh, i herbaceous plants take just a little bit of time that you know they're they're like green hummocky mounds at the moment but they're not really doing much but meadows have a that sort of wildflower feel that the seasons are progressing and i just feel like we're now winter well apart from the certain frosty temperatures winter is now starting to recede in the memory and we're now going to be kicking into a nice six months of proper Oh. proper gardening keep talking keep talking so it sounds yeah. delicious the white lady narcissi which we've got naturalized at the hall and there's honestly there's thousands of them i have i did put a video up during lockdown and I'll, i might actually re- repost that up because it was it's just such a sight um and we have a magnolia stellata in the background which kind of like links in with the color of these narcissus so they're like a uh, Narcissus poeticus, the pheasant eye Narcissi, but they haven't got a red centre. They've just got a very pale yellow centre. And they've got a lovely scent to them as well. And they bulk up fantastically. And on the the bank between the tennis courts and the moat, it sounds so grand, doesn't it? But on that bank, we've got these uh, species roses and euonymus and all sorts of things in uh, little circles, which we take the turf out of. So they're in these lovely little... Um, soil circles but then the grass between that is now smothered in these lovely narcissi and yeah it looks great the bearded iris are going to come through soon so we will be able to forgive the bearded iris bed for being the most high maintenance bed on the estate it takes blood sweat and tears and if anyone has bearded iris in their garden or on their estate they'll know that they are absolute swines to keep weed free i can see the buds of them starting to kind of pop up now so give it a little bit of time and i will fall in love with that bed again most of the year i'm a bit either indifferent or i despise it (laughs) so i'm getting back to that time where it's going to look great thank god sounds like me and roses i love roses when they're flowering and you think yeah i can see why they're the one of the britain's favorite flowers but Mm maintaining them all of the other time of the year it's a right pain and it's it's a bit like you know just trying to make them look good for that one moment but yeah do you know we do that with a lot of plants don't we that's the one thing and, and talking about uh one of my favorite plants actually are orchids and i don't talk about this enough on the podcast actually but mm. uh pleonies so i grow pleonies they're you these do. little alpine orchids and they're all coming into flower at the moment oh, so follow me on twitter over the next well when this comes out, follow me what I've just done. I'm having a Pleony week on my social media. So every day I'm going to be putting up pictures of my Pleony orchids uh, as they flower, which is always, oh, yeah, another sign of things happening. Spring is happening, uh, is the little Pleonies coming up. Have you had any asparagus yet, so pop through? It's That's funny you say that. <laughs> I noticed it, uh, not this morning, yesterday morning when I was doing my rounds, because I do my m- morn, uh, my weekly rounds on a Monday morning. Mm. And yes, I saw a little 
spike. It's a little bit bent over. It's not going to make a classic, lovely <laughs> spear of asparagus. But I was thinking, yes, look, here comes the asparagus. Yeah, I know. We've had the same at the hall. We actually had some pop through in that mild spell in March. Right. Before the cold snap in this late March, early April time. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we need to hoe the asparagus better. And because the mild spell that was a bit, it wasn't unseasonal, but it was very, very warm in the 20s. It caught me out a little bit. So... That spear sadly has been decapitated along oh, with the re- well, it was just the one and it had yeah. to go. Sorry. See its own fault for being too eager. So that has been hoed off. And yeah, so the as- asparagus if you own an asparagus bed and it's looking a bit mossy or pearlworthy or bitter crusty or whatever it might be that's your your favourite weed that's that's colonizing it. Get in there quickly with the hoe. Uh, the the cold nights are still here, so I don't think the asparagus is gonna be growing too much in the next few days. But honestly, next week when this podcast comes out, the night temperatures are getting up so please get your asparagus hoed if you haven't already done yeah for a lovely a lovely crop yeah one of those crops that i really look forward to is i'm sure i've mentioned blood oranges on this podcast a few times but (laughs) blood oranges and asparagus always reminds me of spring (laughs) anyway it's nice to be back pun intended again and uh you know spring is progressing we have a few exciting dates coming up in the next few months we're um we're going to be at Bewley for the Gardener's World Spring Fair in a couple of weeks' time. So if you're coming, come and see us. Yeah. Oh, yes, please. Absolutely. And then we've got, obviously, Gardener's World Live at the NEC in June. Uh, we had a, f- a few people come and talk to us about the podcast, which was lovely. And they bought biscuits. Uh, they did. <laughs> <laughs> a massive hint has just been dropped there by Lucy. Custard um, creams. And they're very, <laughs> very excitingly, <laughs> we're going to be at Audley End in September uh, second to the fourth uh, and we are really looking forward to these because it's our time to go out and meet people see what's going on in people's gardens and actually get a sense of what's going on around the country and we are hoping to be able to bring a podcast episode from all of those three shows so you know stick with us through the year for more gardening waffle but also some very exciting dates out to other gardens today's podcast at an end we hope we've given you a glimpse into our respective gardening lives spring is such an incredibly crucial time in the garden so stick with us over the coming episodes as we guide you through the key tasks of the season whether it's propagating seeds planting up borders thwarting weeds or wielding those secateurs we'll ensure your gardening season remains on track with our guidance and encouragement and if you've enjoyed listening to us we'd love you to leave a review via your preferred podcast provider or on one of our social media platforms. Interact with us via our Twitter accounts, at GardeningSaul and at HeadGardenerLC. Lucy is also over on Instagram, again, HeadGardenerLC. If you feel so inclined, you can even support us at buymeacoffee.com slash talkingheads. Your support would mean so much to both of us. Spring offers some of the most exciting transformations. Within weeks, the muted landscape around us will become ever greener and more floriferous. We are in for an utter treat. So, until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.